Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, well, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about holiness. In fact, we're going to talk about seven ways to cultivate holiness in the Christian life. And holiness is something that I don't think that we talk enough about in the church today. And so we're going to, we're going to talk uh, in more depth about these things as time goes on. So this is more of like a foundational episode but I, I hope that it will be helpful. I also have quite a few recommendations for books uh, for you as we go through this episode. And I hope that you'll pick some of these up because they are really good, uh, excellent books that will help you. If you even just commit to reading one of them this year, you'll, you'll find a lot of help. Now, as Christians, we're called to holy living by the grace of God. After all, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we're new creations in Christ. Uh, God has taken our heart of stone and he's replaced it with a new heart with new desires and affections for himself. And so we are called to, as Colossians 3 says, to put off the old man, to put on the new man, that's union with Christ, and to commune with him, as John 15 tells us, that we are in him and he is in us. And um, so uh, we are called to holy living, not to living how we want to live, but to living how God has declared because of the grace of God revealed in the word of God. And so my first point for you is first, know and love the scriptures. After all, Scripture is God's primary road to holiness and growth, with the Spirit as the master teacher, blessing the reading and the searching of God's Word. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 2, Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, into salvation. If you don't wish to be spiritually ignorant and impoverished and malnourished, you need to read through the Bible. Now, we've talked about this recently. Start with reading the Bible five to, uh, you know, 10 minutes a day. This will help you. Now, whether you read through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, if you've never done that, I highly recommend it. Uh, But um, here's the thing. Even if you camp on a book and you read that book all year long, that is okay. You're getting to know that book. You're increasing your 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 knowledge and skill of in the Word. And also, you know, if you uh, really want to grow a lot, read through the book that your pastor is, is preaching through. This will help you. Now, also, memorize the scripture, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Search the scriptures, as John 5.39 says, because they testify of Christ. Meditate upon the word of God. 
uh, live and love the word of God. Consider the word uh, words, I should say, of Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So in this passage in Proverbs, we find the principles of serious personal Bible study. We find teachability, that is, receiving God's word. We find obedience, storing God's commandments. Discipline, applying the word to our heart. Dependence, crying out for knowledge. And perseverance, searching for hidden treasure. You should not expect to grow in holiness if you spend little time alone with God and you do not take his word seriously. When you're plagued with a heart that's prone to be tempted away from holiness, you need to be reminded that you need the word, like you need food and water. And because scripture is the only way for us to know God. And so we need to be in the word. We need to be reading it. We need to be studying it. We need to be memorizing it. We need to be meditating on it. We need to be taking it home into our hearts. If you struggle with this a lot, I I would encourage you to go ahead and pick up my book, The Word Explored, The Problem of Biblical Literacy and What to Do About It. This book will help you. Now, second, consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. In fact, if you are a Christian, you are already dead to sin and alive in Christ. That means you should claim that. Not name it and claim it. You should claim it. You should believe it. You should put it into practice. Romans 6.11 says to regard yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the, the, the greatest or one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, said this, to realize this takes away from us that old sense of hopelessness, which we have known and we have felt because of the terrible power of sin. I can say to myself uh, that that. Not only am I no longer under the dominion of sin, but I'm under the dominion of another power that nothing can frustrate. This is why Colossians 1 tells us that that because of Christ, we are in him and he in us. And he is the hope of, Christ is a hope of glory. We have a hope that is sure and steady because we have a sufficient Christ. And this gives us the reason why Romans 6 tells us in the very first verse after telling us about our sinfulness in verses 1 through in chapters 1 through 3 and then in chapters 4 through 5 he tells us about how we've been declared not guilty because of Christ then Paul says something amazing something very helpful he says shall we go on li- living how we want to live and he says may it never be in Romans 6:1 that's because we belong to Christ Our identity is no longer in the world. As Paul says in Colossians 1, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. That means that we have a new identity in Christ. Or to use the language of 2 Corinthians 5, we are new creations in Christ. And this doesn't mean that because sin no longer reigns over us as believers, we have license to forego our duty to fight sin. 
Jerry Bridges helpfully explains that to confuse the potential for resisting sin, which God provided with the responsibility for resisting, which is ours, is to court disaster in the pursuit of holiness. The Westminster Shorter Catechism balances God's gift and the responsibility, our responsibility when it says this, Sanctification is the work of, of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live unto righteousness. We call this mortification, that is putting sin to death. That, that doesn't mean that we cuddle our sin. It means because of Christ and because of what he's done, we put it to death. And, and the reason that we do this is if you look at Colossians 3, before he says to put, on, put off the old man and to put on the new man, he's listing the things that we were formerly identified by, the, our former way of life. And says, then he says to put off the old man and to put on the new man. This is union with Christ. This is, this is, we have a new identity. If you're a Christian and you belong to Christ, you can do this. You, by the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can put your sin to death. As you read, as you study the word of God, and as you understand more of the glory of Christ in the word, you can put your sin to death. This is one of the aims that the Holy Spirit is aiming to accomplish in your life. And this is why we should seek to cultivate a growing hatred of sin as depravity. That's, this is the kind of hatred uh, against sin that God possesses. And recognizing that God is worthy of obedience not only as the judge but especially as a loving father. So we should say with Joseph in Genesis 39, 9, He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, the person who considers themselves dead to sin also looks for heart idols. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts with all due diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. This is why at the very end of a book aimed at helping us to love the Lord and to love others and to take that truth and to apply it to our hearts, he says, John says in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. Why? This is the reason why. Because we are dead are to consider ourselves dead to sin. But 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we're to examine ourselves in light of Christ. Because what idols do is, is uh, the danger of idols. An idol is anything that we're attaching meaning and value and significance to up and, and above the glory of Christ. That, that's why lesser pleasures will never satisfy us or should never satisfy us. The supremacy of Christ alone should should satisfy us. As Psalm uh, 1611 says, God has given us pleasures forevermore. And these pleasures are outlined and described, not for pleasure's sake, but pleasures because of God, because of who he is and what he's like. We are to enjoy him and glorify him forever. And this part of that work is to test ourselves, to examine ourselves in the light of the word of God and to see where we are 
finding uh, ourselves and, and um, attaching meaning and value and significance to things that are that are meant that could even be enjoyable. Like, for example, I enjoy golf. I enjoy sports, but I don't enjoy sports more than I more than I love the Lord. There might have been a time in my life, in my teenage years, when I did that, when I prioritized or even at sometimes put at the same level uh, playing golf and those types of things. But uh, I've long since repented of that because I've realized that those things will never satisfy me. You know, having hobbies and other things, those things are good. You, we can enjoy those things. We should get out. We should enjoy nature. But above all, we should we should honor the Lord. We should glorify the Lord. Uh, the Lord alone is worthy of our supreme affection and delight and joy. And this is why lesser pleasures, and, and which are things like, you know, that we would attach meaning and value, ultimate value and significance to, we must repent of those things. And we need to pray and, and for strength to uproot those things and to cast them out um, and not cheapen the grace of God. If that's you today, ask the Lord to help you. Uh, ask for the help of others in your local church, others and even others that know you well, that are trustworthy, as we've talked about. They're theologically they're biblically and theologically solid, and they can help you. They can walk alongside of you. Uh, this is something that we'll definitely come back to because I don't, I don't think that we talk enough about this uh, in the church today, and so we definitely need to talk about it more. But third, strive for daily repentance before God. Uh, never rise above the publican's petition in Luke 18, 13. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, remember Luther's advice that God would have his people exercise lifelong repentance. Furthermore, believe that Christ is mighty to preserve you alive by his Spirit. You see, you live in union with Christ, therefore live unto his righteousness. His righteousness is greater than your unrighteousness. His saviorhood is greater than your sinfulness. His spirit, if you are a child of God, testifies within you that you are a child of God. There is, If there is conviction of sin, that is because the spirit is in you, pointing you to the truth of scripture and helping you to grow to be more like Christ. 1 John 4, 4 encourages us, little children, you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than is in the world. Do not despair, especially those of you who struggle with assurance. You are, If you are a Christian, you are in him. You are alive in him. You're victorious in him. And so Satan may win many skirmishes that the war is yours, the victory is yours. In Christ, the optimism of divine grace reigns over the pessimism of our human nature. Fourth, we are to cultivate holiness through work and prayer. Now, pray and work in dependence upon God for holiness. No one but God is sufficient to bring clean out of unclean. And so we should pray with David in Psalm 51:10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And as you pray, work. The Heidelberg Catechism on question 116 points out that prayer and work work together. They are two oars which, when both are utilized, will keep a rowboat moving forward. Now, if you choose only one oar, if you pray without working or you work without praying, you're going to row in circles. Now, holiness and prayer have much in common. 
Holiness and prayer are both central to the Christian life and faith. They are obligatory, not optional. Both originate with God. They focus on God. Both are activated often simultaneously by the Holy Spirit, and neither can survive without the other. Both are learned by experience and through spiritual battles. Neither is perfected in this life, but must be cultivated lifelong. The most prayerful often feel themselves to be not prayerful at all. The most holy often regard themselves as unholy. And now holiness and work also have many ties. In fact, they're closely related, especially the work of nurturing and preserving spiritual discipline. Discipline takes time. It takes effort. Paul exhorted this in 1 uh, Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. Holiness is not achieved sloppily or even instantaneously. Holiness is a call to a disciplined life. It cannot live uh, out what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. That is grace which forgives without demanding repentance and obedience. Uh, but this is why Jesus called us to count the cost. Because grace is costly. And holiness is costly because grace that costs God the blood of his son, costs the son his own life, and costs the believer daily uh, putting our sin to death, the, the indwelling sin nature that remains. So we need this. Gracious holiness calls for continual commitment, continual diligence, continual practice, and continual repentance. If we sometimes through our weakness fall into sin, we must not therefore uh, despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin since we have an external covenant of grace with God. Rather resolve with Jonathan Edwards, who says, never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I might be. These two things, fighting against sin and the lack of resources, these appear contradictory, but they're not. Failing and becoming a failure are two different matters. The believer recognized they will often fail. Luther says that the righteous man feels himself more often to be a loser than a victor in the struggle against sin. For he says the Lord lets him be tested and assails to his utmost limits as gold is tested in a furnace. This too is an important component of biblical discipleship. The godly man or the godly woman will persevere even through their failures. Failure doesn't make them quit. It makes them repent the more earnestly and to press on for the Spirit's help. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. As John Owen says, God works in us and with us, not against us or without us, so that his assistance is an encouragement as to the facilitating of the work, and no occasion of neglect as to the work itself. So let us never forget that God loves holiness. He is the God who loves holiness. And this is why the Father offers affectionate, chastising discipline as he te as Scripture teaches in Hebrews 12, 5-6 and Hebrews 12, 10. William Grinnell said it best, God would not rub so hard if it were not to fetch out the dirt that is ingrained in our natures. God loves purity so well that he would rather see a hole than a spot in his child's garments. So pray and work, but remember, we are utterly dependent upon the Lord in, uh, in our prayers and in our life and in our work and in all of life. Now, the fifth thing is flee worldliness. We're going to spend some time on this one. 
What does it mean to flee worldliness? That means that we flee from it. We fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. We must strike out against the the first appearance of the pride of life, the lust of the flesh and the eyes, and all forms of sinful worldliness as they knock on the door of our hearts and our minds. If we open the door and allow them to roam about in our minds and to take foothold in our lives, we're already their prey. Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So the material that we read, the recreation and the entertainment that we engage in, the music we listen to, the the friendships that we form, the conversations we have, they're going to affect our our minds and our hearts and ought to be judged in the context of Philippians 4.8, which says, Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So what we're to do, by the way, just as a note here, in in Philippians 4.2, Paul begins this section in which he's listing all these things uh, to, to about joy. He starts in verse Philippians 4.2 with talking about joy. And now we're supposed to find joy in, in the Lord, in, in our union with him. And then in verse 13, in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about me. It's not about whether I can strengthen myself, whether I can do it in my own power and strength. Rather, it's God working in us and through us. And this is seen throughout the text. It's, it's God who is working in us. In fact, the Philippians 4, 6-8, the, the peace of God that passes all understanding, this is the knowledge that uh, is to be experienced in our lives because we actually possess uh, the, the peace of God that Romans 5, 1 talks about, that we have been justified uh, by Christ. We have been declared not guilty by the Lord. And so we belong to him. He is ours and we are his. And that this peace then is becoming more real in our lives. And as a result, we're going to do what verse 8 says. We're going to think on what is noble and pure and good and and just and lovely and commendable. And we're going to think about those things because those are the things that are in the word of God. This is why to know God, to grow in the grace of God, to become more like Christ, We must be in the word of God. We must live apart from worldliness and not be part of the world even while we're in it. That's that's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 through 2, that our minds are to be renewed as we're talking about day after day, moment after moment. We're supposed to take our thoughts captive into the obedience of Christ as 2 Corinthians 10, 5 tells us. This is because and for the sake of holiness, but it's also for our witness. Now, this is the reason why the, the Paul gives the fruits of the Spirit, for example, in Galatians 5. He gives those reasons because these are things, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control, these are things that the Spirit of God, through our reading of the Word of God, he is, he is bringing in, he's massaging these truths deeper and deeper into our hearts and our lives, bringing conviction and comfort and helping us to grow in our character, become more like Christ. 
Because our character is to impact our witness. And this is why holiness matters. Because what holiness helps us to do is it helps us to grow in godly character, which in turn affects our characters. Uh, I mean, excuse me. Our character is to feel our witness. And so this is why we are to be in the Word. We're to study the Word. We're to grow in the Word. We're, the Word is to mold us and to shape us, both personally, and that's why we're to be under sound expository preaching of the Word. And as such, when we're, as we're growing in Him, as, our, as we're growing in godly character, we'll shine before the world and we'll glorify our Father in heaven. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, these things are important. The, the, the passage in Psalm is giving us a, a way, a, way th- a path that, that God has lit in his word. There's the, the, the doctrine of the two ways, which Psalm 1 uh, clearly teaches, and Jesus teaches it as well in Matthew 7. And that is that there is a way for the righteous to walk as prescribed and outlined in the sufficient and authoritative word of God. And then there's the way, as Psalm 1 talks about, of the wicked. They don't walk in that way. They don't want to walk in. They walk in rebellion against the authority of their covenant Lord, the one who made them, the one who upholds the world by the word of his power and so much more. And so this is the, the, those who delight is in the law of the Lord. As Psalm 1 says, they delight to meditate on the word of the Lord. They delight to read, to study, to meditate, to memorize, to apply the word, both personally and corporately to their lives. And so we, as we talk about worldliness, we need to ask a few questions because maybe that's you today. How are you doing at battling sin? How are you doing at battling those dominating habitual sin patterns in your life, whether they're whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness and resentment, how are you doing at it? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction and helping you? Is there even a sliver of growth in your life? Now, this is really an important question because we should not be apathetic about our sin. We should not treat it as something casual in our lives. Because we're, if we're going to walk on the path that God has assigned and the one that he has lit for us so clearly in the word of God, the word of God is a, is a, is a lamp unto our feet, as Psalms tell us. And so the, the way that he has lit is clearly explained and outlined and uh, given in the sufficient and authoritative word of God so that we would know God, so that we could know a sufficient Christ. The, in fact, the only way to know of the sufficiency of Christ is, is in the Word of God, in the sufficient and authoritative Word. And so how are you doing at cultivating some of the things even that we've talked about today? How are those things being cultivated in your life? 
Are you growing in hatred for sin? Are you growing in love for the Word of God? Are you growing in love for your Savior? Are you growing in love for other people in your church? Are you, do you have a growing desire to pray for and to witness to the lost? Do you have a desire to come alongside those who are hurting and struggling in their walk with Christ or experiencing hurt and pain in their life? Do you desire to come alongside of them? Or, do you, or is it just about you? Or do you just have you stopped even caring about your your fight against sin? This is where worldliness has come in. Do you care more about pragmatic things than about than about the things of God? Um, do you read the Word of God? Do you study the Word of God? Do you love to be with the people of God on the Lord's Day, or do you maybe go once whenever it's convenient or once a year? Uh, these are some things that that we can ask to assess where we need to repent and where worldliness is starting to come in. And we should, we should keep our hearts, as Proverbs uh, 4, uh, 23 tells us, we are to guard our hearts with all due diligence, for from it springs the issues of life. God has made us new creations in him. He, we are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. In fact, Romans 8, if you look at all the times, uh, these are these are areas in which the Holy Spirit is at in Romans 8. Look, just read that passage and notice how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. How many times uh, it's because of the Holy Spirit. He's helping us to put our sin to death and so much more as we as we pray and as we work, um, as we've talked about. And we need we need to understand that. And we're going to come back to that definitely in the coming days. Six. Uh, we are to seek fellowship in the local church. There's no lone rangers. There's no lone wolves in Christianity. Hebrews 10 is clear that we're not to forsake the assembly of the brothers. That that means that we're actually going to church. We're regularly putting ourselves un, in contact under the verse-by-verse expository preaching of the Word of God. We're regularly in contact. We're regularly in fellowship. This is because if you want to cultivate a life of holiness, you need fellowship with other believers in Christ. In fact, you need to associate uh, Ephesians 4, 12-13 and 1 Corinthians 11, 1 tell us very clearly that you are to associate with mentors in holiness. The church ought to be a, a place of fellowship, of mutual care and prayer, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and Acts 2, 42 teaches. And if you meet a, a, a believer whose godly walk you find admirable, converse and pray with that person, Colossians 3.16. In fact, Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That means that, look, you need to walk with those who are walking it closely with the Lord. They're reading, they're studying, they're meditating, they're accountable to other believers in the local church and to their pastor and elders. They're walking with the Lord. That's because uh, association promotes assimilation. Uh, a Christian life lived in isolation from other believers is going to be defective. It's it's going to not be uh, it's not going to be a growing faith. We were not meant to live alone. We were not meant to do this life alone. There's no way. In fact, over 50 times in the New Testament, we're taught to one another each other. And these one another passages, they fill out, they fill out what a life in the local church is to be. 
Now, some people, when I've talked about this, they've said, you know, that's the ideal. No. You know what? These things, if you don't understand this, it starts with you. It starts with you growing in the Lord. It starts with you availing yourself of the means of grace and then encouraging other believers in your church to one another to care for, pray for, etc., and so on. It it behooves pastors and elders and churches. I I just want to encourage you for a minute to encourage the people to love and to care for one another in your preaching. Um, Maybe even have a series on this. Because this is so important. It's, it's, it's an under-neglected ministry in the church that we need to focus on because too many Christians think this is the ideal. No, this isn't the ideal. This is the expectation. This is the expectation, and it starts with us. And there's no excusing it because it's over 50 times. In the New Testament, we're to one another each other. We're to bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is because of the grace that we have received through the indwelling and through the indwelling Holy Spirit who empowers us in our Christian life. You see, we cannot have a heavenly fellowship if we promote a hindering fellowship. And such conversations ought not to include the, uh, the, the reading of godly treatises of former age, which promote holiness. Luther quit, once quipped that some of his best friends were dead people. He questioned if anyone could possess spiritual life that did not feel kinship with David, pouring out his heart to the Lord in Psalms. And so read some of the great works that vehemently are against sin. Let Thomas Watson be your mentor in the mischief of sin. Let John Owen in Temptation and Sin, Jeremiah Burroughs in The Evil of Evils, and Ralph Benning in The Plague of Plagues become your friends. But also read J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness, and Octavius Winslow's Personal Declination and a Revival of Religion in the Soul. And John Flavel's excellent, excellent work, uh, Keeping the Heart. Let these divines of former ages become your spiritual mentors and friends. The bottom of line is this. You cannot cultivate holiness in Christ without the bride of Christ. I am telling you, there are so many Christians that I have met since I, even especially when I was in seminary and outside uh, since I've finished every, there are so many Christians that think they can do their Christian life alone, without others, without anybody. And I'm telling you, oh, if you go back and you read almost every one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, and the Galatians, and on and on and on, notice that he is writing to a people in a particular place at a particular time that are in, that are gathering together regularly under biblically qualified uh, male pastors and elders. And this is so important because that means that this is God's expectation. All of God's word is inspired by God and it's given for our instructions. 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 through 17. That means that to fail to obey God and becoming a member or even regularly attending a church means that you are guilty of what uh, Hebrews 10 says, and forsaking the fellowship. 
If you refuse, if you just think that you can go to a small group, you can just listen to a a podcast preacher and you're good. No, your soul is in danger. You are in mortal danger. You were not meant, you were not saved to do life alone and apart from a uh, the local church and to be under the, the biblical care and discipleship of biblically qualified male pastors that they are given uh, because God loves his people and they are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that they can rightly handle the word of God. Ephesians uh, 4. Uh, 15 and Second uh, Timothy 2.15. And so we need that ministry. We need, yes, the personal reading and the study and the meditation and the memorization and the application of the Word. But we need also the corporate life of the church. We need the preaching of the Word. We need to be in the Word and in, in fellowship with others. We need to corporately partake of the Lord's Supper. We need to see people, brothers and sisters, being baptized. These are all, you know, means of grace that God uses in in our own sanctification and growth. We need one another. We desperately do. Finally, commit completely to God. Live present tense in total commitment to God. Form habits of holiness. Pursue harmony and symmetry in holy living. Root out all inconsistencies by the grace of the Spirit and enjoy godly activities. Don't fall prey to one more time. I'm just going to do it one more time. I'm just going to look at that image. I'm just going to look at that image uh, or video one more time. Don't do that. Postpone uh, obedience is disobedience to God. Tomorrow's holiness is impurity now. Tomorrow's faith is unbelief now. Aim not to sin at all. 1 John 2, 1. Ask for divine strength to bring every thought into captivity to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. For scripture indicates that our thought lives ultimately reflect our character. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And old Proverbs says it this way, Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a thought. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. We're not talking about perfectionism here. We're, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. But we are to put our sin to death. We are to grow. Too many Christians use this as an excuse to live however they want to live. Well, I'm never going to be perfect anyway, so it doesn't matter. No, that's an excuse. That's disobedience. You need to repent. First, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why? Because as we've talked about, Romans 6, 11, Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. This is what God has to say. In fact, this is what God, by his Spirit, is aiming to do in us. He desperately wants us, and as Romans 8, 28 says, he is aiming to conform us more into the image of Christ. The Spirit is, and he, he uses the means of his word, both personal and corporate, as we've talked about. Well, friends, we have gone over the 30 minutes, and there's a lot to say. We are going to come back to these topics because uh, all of these things are really, really vital to our growth, to our godliness. And as I, as I said uh, a few weeks ago, you know, I remember a conversation with a good friend and mentor of mine now with the Lord, and he was encouraging me, and he, he stopped. And he said, Dave, I know you know those things. And I said, you know what, brother? The choir needs preaching to. You see, you and I, we need preaching to. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no longer how long you've been in Christ, I need you and you need me. We need to stir one another up by even way of reminder, by way of encouragement, 
uh, in these things, and we need it needs to be. We need to not just say it is well with our soul. It needs to be well with our soul. We have a sufficient Christ. He has provided all the means. His grace superabounds to us. And so I pray today that if you are if you are just living however you want to live and you're being apathetic and you're cheapening the grace of God, I pray that the Spirit of God will make even more precious to your heart and to your mind the glory of Christ, that you might know Him more. And no matter where you are, that yes, you would be encouraged to pursue Christ all the more. That's for all of us, every single one of us in Christ. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.